This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 and Sunday mornings at 11 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. If fiber were a drug, you'd walk into your doctor's office, you'd get your annual physical, and your doctor would be telling you about this. And if they listed all the positives, the first thing I would say in my head, and probably out loud to my doctor is, okay, where's the downside? But the interesting thing is, there is no downside. Absolutely none. And on top of that, it's cheap. Welcome to the new and expanded 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we're going to learn all about the health benefits of fiber. We'll discuss how to beat surgery wait times in Ontario. We'll learn what to do when you disagree with your kids' choices. And lastly, we'll find out why we sometimes cry after sex. But first, a little bit of business. Today's sponsor is Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's Unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with that great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try Activated Charcoal and Mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality and natural products in the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel's article in the March issue of Tonic is all about the unsexiest of nutrients, fiber, which is so good for us in so many different ways that he is bursting at the seams to tell us all about it today. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you. Always my pleasure. And I am bursting in the seams. This, yeah. this was one of the most entertaining articles I've ever written. If you from, do say so yourself. <laughs> from the standpoint of the author, for yeah. me to write it, I had a blast. Why is that? Why were you so excited? It, it was very different for me because the inspiration I got behind this was I had a journal article sent to me, of a clinical review of multiple articles, and it was just so overwhelming praising this nutrient by the authors that it was almost magical and they were treating it as though it were a magical nutrient that no one had ever seen before. You could read the enthusiasm from the authors of the original clinical trials. And it's so simple, right? It's remarkably simple and that's the beauty of it is if fiber were a drug, you'd walk into your doctor's office, you'd get your annual physical and your doctor would be telling you about this and you'd be nodding your head going, okay, okay. If you're anything like me, your doctor sits down and once a year has that conversation. Well, this is what you should do. This is what you should do less of. This is what you should do more of. Oh, and by the way, here's something you should think about taking. And if they listed all the positives, the first thing I would say in my head and probably out loud to my doctor is, okay, where's the downside? Yeah. And But the interesting thing is, there is no downside. Absolutely none. And when in life do you ever hear, 
Here's all the positives of something. And there's no negative. And there's absolutely no yeah. negative. And on top of that, it's cheap. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's a win for everyone. And, you know, my little health journey, which, you know, we've gone over a million yes. times on the show. But in addition to obviously watching what I was eating and changing my, my you know, food lifestyle and exercise, one of the key changes that I made was to breakfast. And my change in breakfast was for two years straight, all I ate was oatmeal. Yep. And part of the reason I was eating oatmeal was because of the fiber. And it's good for you and it fills you up and it keeps you going and it does amazing things to your body. But you're going to tell us all about that. Definitely. But one thing I would like to interject just about that, uh, one of my colleagues, a very good friend of mine who's actually in his late 60s, has had a bowl of oatmeal for breakfast every day since he was a teenager. Wow. And he is without a doubt one of the most physically fit people I know any age. Yeah. And he attributes a good chunk of it. Just to the fact that he makes sure, yes, he has other healthy foods and right. other fibers that he goes, he will not start his day without a bowl of oatmeal. Yep. Because of the fiber. I'm with him. There you go. Nothing so, negative there. Okay. And it's darn tasty too. So, 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 so <laughs> let, but let's get to the nitty gritty. What does fiber do for us? Like we say it's amazing. So what does it actually do? Well, before we get there, we should okay. actually explain what fiber is. You're right. For lacking a better phrase, and I know I use that phrase a lot, (laughs) fiber is the undigestible part of plants. Right. It's divided into two broad categories. One is soluble and the other is insoluble. What does that mean? It's how it acts in your body. Insoluble, the easiest way to think about it is, acts like a broom, cleans out everything it touches, it, it gathers out the dirt and debris, and forces your body to poop it out. Right. Most people, when they think of insoluble fiber, they think of psyllium. Right. Soluble fiber, on the other hand, is fiber that dissolves in liquid. Yes. And swells a little bit in your digestive tract. Which, that's what makes me feel full when I have my oatmeal. Correct. But what it does, actually, that's much more important than that, is it actually slows down your digestive system Hmm. intentionally. It slows it down. It allows you to absorb more nutrients. And at the same time, it delays the absorption of sugars. And by doing that, it keeps your blood sugar lower. The amount of health benefits derived from soluble fiber, we could literally talk for another two hours and I'd still be going through the list. Wow. It is that big. Every single thing you can think about that's healthy, that comes from food, pretty much soluble fiber helps with. It helps you absorb those nutrients? Is that what you're saying? Some soluble fibers do, some don't. Okay. But in a broad sense, they don't harm. Okay, fair enough. That's the easiest way to think about it. But there are certain fibers, for example, one we're going to talk about a little later, that actually physically increases your absorption of calcium, magnesium, iron, zinc, B5, B12, and protein. Wow. And the key is to actually have it in your system at the exact same time as you have the nutrient, and together they work to increase the absorption of that nutrient. So it's almost like a catalyst in in that it improves the body's ability to deal with those nutrients. Correct. On a very short time basis. Okay. What else does fiber do for us? You've now explained soluble and insoluble. What else can fiber do for us? Well, the biggest areas that fiber can help us with are in the areas of blood sugar health and 
digestive health and cardiovascular health. Okay, so let's go through those. I'll start with cardiovascular because that's the one I have fun with the most. Go ahead. What it does actually, the easiest thing to put it is it removes low-density lipoproteins or LDL cholesterol, which is the unhealthy cholesterol, while at the same time does not affect high-density lipoproteins, which are the healthy cholesterol. Right. So if you think about nothing else with cardiovascular, and it does more than this, it lowers the bad cholesterol while not disrupting the good cholesterol. And personally, for me, it really did make a difference with my cholesterol levels. Like, they were stellar. Oh, definitely. It'll help everyone. Yeah. It'll help everyone to different degrees, but it'll help everyone. The other big advantage when it comes to that is... By properly controlling your cholesterol levels through through fiber and other dietary means, you reduce your risk of heart disease, stroke, and and statistically just death. Period. Mm. It, it's very very significant the the differences. Okay. Then you move into blood sugar health. Okay, let's talk about that. What happens is when any of us take in any carbohydrate, doesn't matter what it is. It raises our blood sugar level to some extent. The simpler the carbohydrate and the most simple being white sugar right? because it's just pure pure uh, glucose, yep. the simpler the sugar, the higher it raises it and the quicker it raises it. And every carbohydrate will get converted to sugar to some extent. Right. What fiber does is it slows down your absorption of it. So even if you have, for example, the nastiest of nasties, the pure white sugar, and you take it with an equal amount of soluble fiber, you won't absorb it as fast, so your blood sugar won't rise as quickly or as high. Okay, so you're not getting the spikes. You don't get as big a spike or as fast. So essentially, the ideal is you take fiber with every meal, every time you have any carbohydrate, and the phrase is called blunting. It blunts the impact of that carbohydrate. Right. So your blood sugar, rather than going a massive peak and then a massive drop afterwards, which is the sugar crash, yep. it collapses those two spikes, makes them closer together, so you don't get as high a high a low, a low. or low a low. And that, that's also great for dieters because when you hit the low, that's when you get hungry and you start binge eating. Right. It helps avoid that. No, and I, and I was finding that, that, you know, one of the day-to-day benefits of, of having the oatmeal, when we're talking about fiber, is that I could go, I could have it, let's say, at 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning and I'd be good and I wouldn't need to eat anything. Not that I, I didn't or shouldn't, but I didn't need to eat anything until, let's say, 1 o'clock. Definitely. Which is, you know, and that's I'm pretty great. active, right? So that's a pretty good thing if you don't if you don't have to worry about it for that many hours. Now compare that to the average North American who essentially has a sugar rich breakfast, also caffeine rich, but yeah. sugar rich breakfast. They get that nice blood sugar spike, that nice yep. energy spike of the combination of the carbohydrates and the caffeine, then it wears off pretty quickly, normally yep. by the time they get to work, and then they start munching. Right. And normally munching is the problem because that's when you have the unhealthy foods, the chips, the sodas, the cookies, all the other junk, the danishes. And then you go on the blood sugar roller coaster up and down and up and down and up and down. Every time you hit down, you you, you pull for something that's munching and your your health goes to heck in a handbasket. Right. So let's let's talk about now. I've been pontificating about oatmeal and how you know I get lots of fiber from from oatmeal. The truth of the matter is, though, it's extremely difficult to get sufficient levels of fiber 
through your diet, right? It's not difficult to do it on a one-shot basis or a two-shot basis. To get it day in and day out from food is virtually impossible. Right. The researchers looked at, I got to look here for one second, how big it is. I think it was 35,000 human years worth of data and found that the minimum optimum level was to get 29 grams of fiber a day. That was the minimum optimum. For average age, average uh, weight, right? Correct. The unfortunate part is most of us are, when we try really hard, are struggling to get 12. Wow. That includes all of us who are vegan, who eat a ton of salads, et cetera. It doesn't matter. It's really hard. They even recommend supplementing daily. Now, when I say those 29 grams, please remember, that's the minimum. Right. And that's just to maintain your health level. If you want to increase the quality of life and increase your health level, they're recommending doubling that. Wow. Yep. And if, if almost no one's hitting that from food now... Good luck getting any higher. Well, give us an example of the type of uh, diet that you would need to eat in order to to even come close to the levels that we're talking about. To come close to the, let's pick 60 grams as an example. To to come close to 60 grams a day, you'd pretty much have to make it your life's mission just to have high fiber foods and nothing else. Such as, given as an example, what that would look like? (sighs) Potatoes. With skin on, sweet potatoes, no butter, no anything like that. Because as soon as you put fat in of any kind, it reduces your appetite so you can't have enough fiber. (laughs) Then you would have to have whole grain bread. Then you have to have whole grain cereals. Then you'd have to have high fiber vegetables, not fruits, vegetables. Things like carrots, things, uh, root vegetables. Also, you would have to have things like zucchini but you'd have to stay away from things like lettuce or cucumber, which are mostly water and not really fiber. Right, because they fill you up and you don't get enough fiber. Correct. It, it, it's actually very, very difficult to right. do, if not physically impossible. That's why everyone says you have to supplement. Okay. So are there any – if you're taking all this fiber, is there, is there any reason to be concerned that you could take too much fiber or having all that fiber might contraindicate other issues that you might already have? Yes, if done haphazardly. Okay. And the explanation behind that is if you're all of a sudden switching your diet and and supplementing, so you move from 10 grams, let's say, up to 30 or 40 or 50, you've got to give your body time to react and adjust. Okay. Your body's not used to that. It's, for example, the same as if you sat on the couch every day, did absolutely nothing, and all of a sudden decided to run a marathon. Right. Weekend warrior. Bad yeah. idea. You're going to collapse. You're going to be in tons of pain, and you're probably going to do some permanent damage as the weekend warrior. With fiber, all you're going to do, to be quite honest, is you're going to be tooting like a horn section <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. So the recommendation is just to go slowly, work your way up to the level you want, And when I say slowly, I'm talking over the course of four to six weeks. Okay. Give your body time to adjust, and it will. Okay, so assuming that we need to supplement, this is your expertise. Let's talk about the supplements that you produce and why you produce them in the way you did so that they're beneficial. No problem. What we did is we looked at the available fiber supplements on the market, and we found that they were sorely lacking the fact that you couldn't take a lot of them without a massive amount of side effects. And at the same time, we wanted one that would improve your absorption 
of nutrients. Right. So yours is soluble, I gather. Our product is completely 100% soluble. It's called Fiberific because it's a terrific fiber. But I'm bump, yeah. <laughs> and what it does is it's taste-free. It'll never thicken so you don't end up with the gritty glop that our parents did. Right. And you can put it in anything. You'll never know it's there. No taste, no smell, no texture. On top of that, each teaspoon is four and a half grams of fiber. So you can decide how much fiber you want to increase and at what rate. You can cook with it. You can bake with it. You can pretty much do anything you want with it. Fantastic. And the other really big benefit to it is it improves your digestive system by increasing your healthy gut flora. Okay. Thank you so much for explaining. Thank you for coming on the show today. It is always my pleasure. We're going to hear back from you next month, but we've got to take a short break. When we return, we're going to learn about beating surgery wait times in Ontario on The Tonic. Are you one of the many Canadians dealing with chronic pain, anxiety, IBS, and other such conditions? Are you interested in finding out more about your options with medical cannabis? Then join one of 22,000 patients nationwide who've let Harvest Medicine be their trusted cannabis healthcare partner and provider. It's never been easier to access Harvest Medicine's healthcare team, education, and resources. Simply download the HMed Connect app from the Android and Apple stores and book your appointment today. To find out more, visit hmed.ca or download the app. That's HMED Connect from your app store. Delayed medical treatments have become a widespread trend in Ontario. With patients in chronic pain waiting 10 to 20 months between a GP referral and orthopedic surgery. To beat the waiting game and regain their quality of life, Ontarians are opting for private treatment solutions and traveling abroad for their health. What a lot of them don't know is that they can find treatment options in Montreal. ICS Clinic offers quick and affordable treatment solutions by some of the most sought-after specialists in the country without the need for a referral. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Dr. Jacques Tweg, is an orthopedic surgeon specializing in sports medicine and arthroscopic surgery of the shoulder and knee. The doctor is well known for his medical expertise with professional athletes and his work as chief physician of the Rogers Cup Tennis Canada. He's also the director of the Montreal Institute for Special Surgery. Welcome to The Tonic, sir. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. This is an interesting topic for all of us in Ontario who don't have necessarily the familiarity with the benefits of private clinics. Yes, a good point. The province of Quebec is the only one in Canada where it's allowed to be off Medicare and to provide a private care in private facilities. So we do get a lot of patients coming from out of our province coming to Montreal to get their surgeries done or, or to get a consultation. Right. So it, we have a different system. Right. So why is it that so many people are doing this? What do the statistics say about wait times for surgery that are you know, militating for people to come to you? Well, the thing is, is that in the last 20 years, the, the waiting time has doubled for a patient. And we're talking here about elective surgeries. Right. So right now, the waiting time is more than a year and sometimes a year and a half of waiting. And that's pretty much what we're seeing across Canada. Now, it might be different from one province to the other, but still, there's a long waiting list for 
for many surgeries, not only in orthopedic surgeries, but in all other type of elective surgeries where it's not, you know, health-threatening. So what types of surgeries are we talking about? Like like stuff for the knees and the ankles? Well, or? in orthopedic surgery, it's mainly sh- shoulders and knees where the waiting times are, are pretty long, especially in arthroscopic surgery. So we're talking about injuries or issues where it's not life-threatening and where it is painful for the patient, but because it's not considered an emergency, you're going to wait. So in some specialties, let's say you have a cancer or something like that, you won't wait that long. No, of long. course not, yeah. But the thing is, is that if you have a heart condition, you're not going to wait that long. But the thing is, is that they get prioritized. So in orthopedic surgery, we tend to be, you know, pushed uh, in, the, in the waiting time. And, and, and this is why... and you know, we're, we're getting those uh, statistics. Right, because it's not necessarily life-threatening. Uh, the priority list on a triage basis would be put below, obviously, cancer, heart, or, you know, imminent required surgery. Exactly. Okay, so why are wait times so bad? So if it's not uh, life-threatening, yeah. you know, why should we care about whether one of us has to wait a year to have an MCL or an ACL looked at? Yeah, the thing is, is that, well, okay, so there are different issues there. Sure. Uh, the first one is that, you know, the population is getting older, yes. more active. There's a lot of surgeries that now that could be done arthroscopically that we didn't do before. So there's new condition that we can now operate that we didn't before. And so that means we do more and more surgeries in different, you know, in, for different issues or different condition. The problem with this is that we don't get access to the OR. Uh, so it's not that the, we don't have enough uh, orthopedic surgeons. It's it's just that we don't get enough OR time in the public system. Uh-huh. And and this is one of the reasons why I, I chose 12 years ago to completely go private uh, because I w- you know I was tired of, of fighting with the hospital and have a two year waiting list for for those patients. So it's not fun for the surgeons and it's certainly not fun for the patients because during all that time, well, you cannot do your normal activities. You, right. You, you have to stop your sports. Sometimes it does have a major um, issues for for work. I mean, we're we're talking about about two billion dollar of losses just when we're talking about hours lost wow. uh, while waiting for surgery. And, and we're not talking about all the other issues about pain, about you know your uh, even for a company if you have to replace somebody that's off for uh, an injury, then you have to replace that person. You have to train them. So it's a bit of a mess for everybody. God forbid if, you know, my knees can be bad, I'm, I'm active, but if I couldn't exercise, that would change my entire lifestyle, right? I, I mean, my, wa- my weight loss, my ability not to be grumpy and cranky, my, you know, just keeping well to stave off the inevitability of old age. If I couldn't move around, it would be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, and the other issue that we, uh, physician tends not to talk about it, and especially not, politi- you know, in politics, is that waiting f- while you have an injury like let's say a meniscal tear or a rotator cuff injury at your shoulder well if the waiting time is long then it just makes it worse and sometimes you get to a point where it's not repairable anymore and and you have to change your approach or change your surgery or you get more arthrosis down the road so people don't talk about this but it is an issue that needs to be addressed and and needs to be said. Uh, We tend to say, well, those patients are waiting on the list. Well, most of them will get worse with time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we tend to forget about this. So we might end up with more 
uh, total knees later on, or we might end up right. with uh, a more um, difficulty to gain back full motion or full strength for your shoulder because you know you've waited for like almost two years before you can uh, right. You I can mean, get this, uh, a, a, an appointment and a surgery. This is sort of the flip side. You know, the, the, the political discourse is you know everybody. You know, with a with a no pay system, everybody's treated equally. That's true, but there are certain people that don't benefit from having to wait. I think that's sort of. It, and you know go. what? In in our clientele, we see all sorts of people. We yeah, see, who are you seeing? Well, you know, people tend to think that you have to be really rich to go for a private consultation or a private surgery, which is not the case. So we're seeing top athletes, but we're also seeing. You know, patients who got their injury at work. We're also seeing patients that come for insurance company or patients that are paying from themselves. And those are the biggest group that we're getting is people who don't want to wait and are paying from their own pocket to get the surgery done, which is about, I would say, 70% of the patients we're, we're receiving. And about 30% of all the patients we're seeing in our clinic come from outside of Quebec. So they come from Toronto, Ottawa, right. New Brunswick. So we're, we're getting a lot of people even outside of our province that are coming in, in Montreal to get their surgeries done. Well, yeah. And, and I guess, you know, if you've made the decision that you're, you're not going to wait within your province, then your options are, you know, to go to the U.S. or go to the Caribbean or... I guess, coming yeah. to you. But the benefits of, of staying in Canada are plenty, I presume. I presume it's more convenient and it's more cost-efficient to come to you. Exactly. And and the thing is, is that let, let's compare with the United States. Yeah. The cost in, in Canada is much cheaper. So just to give an idea for people who are listening, for a consultation, we're talking about $250, where a consultation with a specialist in the States could definitely cost between 800 to $1,000. And... Um, if you get a surgery, it could be between 2000 to $8,000 for surgery, where in the United States it can easily go over $50,000. So we're not talking about the same numbers here, right? Uh, but we're talking about the same quality. The thing is also is that it's easy for patients from Toronto to fly in. So just to give you an example, we're seeing patients sending their MRR report because they're already waiting uh, for surgery. We have a look at it, then we, we can, uh, by email, uh, try to organize a visit. And uh, once we see them, uh, sometimes we do the surgery on the next day. So, you know, they come, they fly to Montreal. Oh, so they're not going back and forth, right? Exactly. And we, we see them because most of our surgeries are all day surgery. So it's quite easy for them to come over so we can examine them, explain to them the surgery, and then the, the next day we were already booked their surgery, so they're not losing any time with this. And to give an idea, to, to normally we try to see everybody within two or three weeks. So if you, you know, by the time we see you and we do the surgery, well, you're not going to wait more than two weeks. And you don't need a referral. That's another issue that we have in our system is that every time you want to see an orthopedic surgeon, you need a, a referral from your physician. In our case, we don't need any f- uh, referral. We're a private clinic, so we're receiving all patients that do want to see uh, a specialist, whether it's in sports medicine or an orthopedic surgeon or, or a plastic surgeon that specializes in hand and wrist surgery. So this is another advantage. You don't have to wait because just normally patients would wait about 40 weeks just to see an orthopedic surgeon wow. once your physician has made the requisition. So. 40 weeks is almost a year just to see a specialist, which doesn't make any sense to me. 
No, it doesn't make any sense to me either. So what would be the initiating process? If I, you know, my knee's a little bit wonky, but if I needed surgery, what would be my first step if I'm reaching out to you? Well, the first step is to, evidently is to take an appointment, but if you do already have some exams that has been done, let's say an x-ray, an MRI, you can right. always send it to the clinic. So at least we can give you an idea of you know, what's going on and what needs to be done. Now, we cannot definitely say anything without seeing the patient and examine him, but at least we can plan some things in advance so it's easier for the patient. Uh, it's, it's easier if you're already, already on the waiting list, but we have a lot of patients calling us they're not on a waiting list for surgery. They're just on a waiting list to see an orthopedic surgeon. Right. Then we can see them, uh, and depending on your injury or, or, or on your condition, we sometimes do uh, injection for, for arthrosis or PRP injection on the ultrasound-guided. So it all depends on your condition. So, yes, we're surgeons, but we also treat and follow patients that, that, you know, that needs attention. Fantastic. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll hear what to do if we disagree with our kids' choices on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest is Leslie Sandler-Griff. She's been practicing as a social worker who specializes in couples therapy for over 20 years. For more information about her expertise, please visit LeslieSandlerGriff.com. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. 
So our kids are all of the same age. Uh, some are in their teens, some are young adults, and they're making career choices and personal choices that will impact their lives. And as a parent, that can be a challenge, right? Well, it certainly can. It certainly can. You know, your kids make a lot of choices in life, and you, as a parent, probably don't like a lot of them. But like is a really interesting word. Yeah. Okay, so what happens? What's the import of liking your kids' choices or not liking your kids' choices, let's say, in a partner? Well, I guess like is a really interesting word. What does it matter, to be blunt, if you like your kid's partner, more importantly, you know, when, you, when I'm working with parents and, uh, of teens and young adults, the question is, do they like them? And when they do and you don't, when is it time, I guess, as a parent to step in and when is it time to bite your tongue? Yeah, well, I mean, like when you say what does like mean, you know, do I like them personally? That's immaterial. Like, do I think they're an appropriate match for my child? Do I see a potential problem down the line? You know, that's a a separate issue. I guess the real question is, is do we have it within ourselves to be objective? That's really it, right? Or or is it just our relationship with our kids, which are so intense that it sort of overshadows everything? Yeah. So I I guess, I mean, the, the thing is, is that when would a parent not be concerned about their kid, their kid's choices, in general. And there is always the possibility of not liking a choice. When you talk about not liking a partner, I guess the thing is, when do you start to worry? Okay, so so let's talk about that. Right. Is there sort of a cutoff? Is it when they reach a certain age or a stage in their relationship? When does it become a serious issue? So as young teens and, and young adults, Young relationships, new relationships, I don't think that there's any, there's any need to worry at all. Generally, teens and young adults are going to have four to seven long-term relationships before they settle on a long-term committed relationship. Uh, you wouldn't even know, probably in this day and age, some of the relationships that your children are having, nor, nor should you know or want to know. Okay. Uh, if you have a sense that your kid is going moving to the category of more serious, maybe they're talking about cohabitating, maybe they're talking about, uh, you know, creating a family together, then, then you may want to uh, look at your concerns more seriously. Okay. So, I mean, obviously it's contextual, right? I mean, it depends on how old your kid is, where they are in their life, you know, how long has that relationship been? I I suppose that all comes into play, right? Absolutely. Is there a particular time? Is there a tipping point when it's, let's assume that your concern is legitimate. We'll leave that, we'll shunt that aside for a second. But in terms of timing, is there sort of a threshold where you could say to yourself, yeah, this is reasonable. I've got to sort of, I've got to say something. Relationships that typically are more than a year in length, where there is at least some cohabitation happening, whether it's, you know, I'm I'm, I'm sleeping over at so-and-so's for the weekend, or we're traveling together, uh, those are the times where you might consider it a tipping point. Okay. And, you know, I guess the decision to say something or not say something or explore these thoughts... 
that has implications too, right? Like not not saying something is is almost as big a decision as saying something, isn't it? Right. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the messaging that is is done for a parent with regard with regard to raising any issue with your kid, uh, your adult kid, your teen kid needs to be done taking a position of concern and not blame. Right. Okay. Uh, you know, it's really important that whatever you're, you're raising, you want to speak, and particularly about their choice of, of potential life partner. You don't want, you don't want to speak about that, that partner in negative uh, terms, but you want to raise uh, issues, uh, specific examples that highlight questionable beha- behaviors, certain circumstances that have come up that may have you know, sort of can be highlighted so that you give your kid, I'm going to say kid very loosely because as a no. young adult, you, you, they, would, they don't want to be considered kids anymore, but you give your kid food for thought. You give your, your kid something to take away uh, from your, your, the concern that you've raised in terms of things to think about their partner's behavior, their own behavior. Right. Uh, and the decision to say something, I mean, like, it's ne- it's never in a vacuum, right? I, I, I mean, like, I've learned to never raise a serious issue in the heat of the moment. There's just no, there's no, there's no good that can come from it. You got to wait until you're not in the moment to sort of raise an issue. But also in doing so, you've got to be prepared for the backlash or, or ramifications, right. right? So I would always recommend that before you, I mean, you talk about the heat of the moment, if you're going to, if you're mulling over the idea as a parent of, 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 of sharing this concern with your kid, you want to run it by another individual who you, you trust, who is aware of the relationship, who's seen it in action, potentially a co-parent. You want to be able to have a fulsome idea of what you're bringing to the table. And you, you need to do it in a way where your kid believes that you've considered their position and that you're presenting a well-thought-out case and not the heat-of-the-moment case. Off-the-cuff almost never works. Right. And uh, there are, I, I've seen lots of examples of off-the-cuff conversations that have gone awry that, you know, they're really hard to repair. When you say running it by a co-partner, like, I, you know, obviously any decision you're making with your kids, if you're in a relationship with the other parent or even not, it's important that everybody's on side, isn't it? Well, I, I think that it is, it is nice when everybody's on side, but I'm, I'm not sure that you can ensure that. No. I, yeah. With regard to, uh, you know, your, your opinions about your kid and where they're going. And I think the most important thing that a parent can do for their kid is to have open discussion with the co-parent, whether you're together or not. Uh, if you can't because, you know, your relationship with the other parent is, you know, quote-unquote in the toilet, then I don't recommend it. But run your, run your ideas by somebody else who you trust, who has seen the relationship in action. Okay. What sorts of issues are worth addressing and which aren't? Well, I mean, I think that the one that sort of is flashing red in front of my eyes at this point is anything to do with a power and control issue between your kid and their chosen partner, whether it is, uh, you know, a, a, a so I'm, I'm talking about abuse. Right, I'm talking about, you know, power and control issues that can 
look to be very petty at times, but, you know, restriction of uh, ability to connect with family members, other friends, you know, sort of a, a power imbalance when it comes to financial. Those are things that I wouldn't keep quiet. I wouldn't keep quiet, you know, when it was a new relationship or a longer-term relationship. Uh, those are the kinds of conversations that hopefully you're having with your kid from day one. Mm-hmm. When I say from day one, obviously not when they're babies. Right. But once they are in relationships with other people, whether it's school-age relationships or romantic relationships, you want to talk about how those relationships what the dynamics are that are in them, what's important, what they need to look for, what are the red flags that they need to sort of um, measure in themselves. And presumably as a parent, you've had those, rela- those conversations from day one. And so this conversation, if it has to happen, won't come out of the blue. Right. As a parent, in deciding to make a decision to address your kid's choice, uh, what, is, what should you be most concerned about? I, to my mind, I, th- I guess it would be like preserving the relationship and making sure whatever it is you're saying, you're, you're not irreparably ruining the relationship. Right. So, you know, I, I like to think of the, the line drawn in the sand. Right. And, you know, I, I, I think it's really important that we try to refrain from drawing that line as best we can as often as we can and if we if we are inclined to draw a line we better make very well sure that that line is is something that we we feel very very strongly about right no if you're going to take a stand if you're going to die on the proverbial hill it better be an important one right right so you know things like religion culture financial status intelligence levels, all of those things. I'm not sure whether you want to draw a line in the sand. Abuse, maybe you do, but then you're isolating your kid from the supports that they potentially could have. So you have to be really careful with that. Um, Lines in the sand are really, really tough. And I would encourage most parents not to take those stands. I think that's good advice. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure, as always. We'd love to have you back again. Will you come back on? Absolutely. Thank you. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. At Caregiver Services Limited, we specialize in 12 to 24-hour private care for seniors in private homes, hospitals, or facilities. We provide the highest level of customized service for families looking for a caregiver or personal support worker. To ensure the highest quality of care and support, we limit the number of clients we service. Whether you're looking for general live-in care or have more significant needs related to mobility issues, dementia, or palliative care, finding someone who's a great fit is most important. At Caregiver Services Limited, our highly experienced staff specialize in meeting the unique needs of 12 to 24-hour care. For more information, please visit caregiverservices.ca. Let our family help care for yours. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. 
They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carlisle Jansen is the founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality shop and workshop centre in Toronto. She's also the producer of the Toronto International Porn Festival and author of two books, including Sex Yourself. Watch her TEDx Toronto talk and educational videos at carlislejansen.com. And you can reach out to her at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show. Hi, it's always a pleasure. So in the March issue of Tonic, you yeah. wrote about the phenomenon mm-hmm. of people crying after sex. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a rare thing. It happens a bit more than people might might think. Right? Yeah, I mean, I knew that it happened, but when I actually did the research, I was surprised that uh, 46% of women have experienced what's called postcoital dysphoria, or PCD, mm-hmm. um, and 41% of men have experienced it at least once in their lifetime. Usually crying in connection with sex is, you know, my experience yeah, was, was yeah. like, oh God, no, keep what away from it. <laughs> exactly, no. <laughs> totally different. Totally different. But I, but I I understand this happens. And, yeah. and so what's driving this? What's happening that people are having these emotional, I suppose outbursts is the wrong word. Yeah. But, well, uh, yeah, experiences, epi- sure. Experiences, episodes. Yeah. And what's- sometimes it's sadness, sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's like frustration or disappointment. Like it, it's a bunch of different emotions. It's not always just unhappy or sad. Right. Um, there is one philosophy that perhaps it's our hormones. Right. And so oxytocin is that feel-good hormone that makes us feel all connected after we have sex. Um, And that is released with orgasm. And so some people think that it's because that also that hormone reduces stress. And so it can release the stress that's built up. So sometimes we have the stress that's built up and the oxytocin will release all of that. And then with that comes the emotions that were built up with the stress. So it's almost like a dam that bursts, right? right? So, yeah. so so like yeah. a, a release of some emotion is what yeah. you might expect after sex, yeah. but this yeah. is this is a whole lot of emotion yeah. escaping, right? Yeah, that's more than just from the experience. Yeah. Okay. So in the article, after mm-hmm. discussing hormones, the next issue that you talk about is vulnerability. Yes. So how does that impact? How does that come into play? Well, sex is a very vulnerable activity if we're being really true to ourselves, right? right. We have our body responses that are very genuine. Sometimes we've exposed our desires. We're allowing ourselves to be physically naked and often emotionally naked. Um, and so what that means is that... Uh, Sometimes when we're in that vulnerable place, we fear that we're doing it wrong, right? This whole notion, am I normal? Is my partner going to judge me? Did I do it right? And sometimes with that vulnerability, we become a little bit more sensitive and maybe a look or a very innocent thing that our partner says that might actually come from a very positive place might somehow we interpret it in a negative way or we we fear their judgment and all of a sudden we go into that sad place thinking that you know now now we have done something wrong and we're kind of raw and so it hits us a lot harder right so i guess the sex in that 
instances amplify it's acting as an amplifier mm-hmm. or, a, or a conduit for mm-hmm. emotions right so yep. so yep. if those emotions are backed up this is this is almost like a super highway right. situation of emotional driving yes yeah. yeah and especially if we have complicated fears and emotions about who we are as right. sexual beings so you also reference unfulfilled expectations. <laughs> and there's lots of funny things I could say right now. But you know and I'm I'm often self-deprecating, but I'm not even going to go there. Yeah. So so what, what did you mean by that? Well, so we there's lots of expectation, right? We think like, "Oh, we're going to have sex and it's going to feel great and we're right. going to be connected and we're going to fall in love again and we're going to have this amazing time and and sometimes that happens and Sometimes it doesn't. Right. And and so when we set ourselves up for this huge experience, then it's a lot easier for us to fall short of that, whether that is that we don't feel connected, we um, didn't feel the satisfaction that we wanted to have, um, that our partner didn't seem to understand what we meant. Um, and, you know, now this whole setup, you know, maybe we set up this whole scene and we right. rented a hotel room and we have Are this the, whole weekend built up and right. now it fell flat, the right? Ro- the rose the rose petals on the bed did not go as planned. Yeah, it, and and sometimes it's even that we're disappointed in ourselves, right? right I really yeah. wanted to be honest about what I wanted this time and I, I couldn't open up about it or I, I felt shy or I, I couldn't allow myself to go or experience what I wanted to experience or I, or I was even too distracted to notice what I was experiencing. And so sometimes it's, um, it's even you're frustrated with yourself right. um, and that you let yourself down. Interesting. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But the crying doesn't necessarily have to be about sadness either, right? I mean, no. it, it might manifest, it might look like somebody's right. upset. Yeah, well, and that's what we often associate with crying. It's like, you know, and the partner's usually, well, what did I do wrong, right? But but it could be tears of joy. <laughs> could be absolutely tears of joy. You could be so ecstatic that you're crying. And um, sometimes it's that, you know, you conquered a fear or you pushed some edges or you allowed yourself to experience something um, or that you were kind of numb maybe because of an assault or you you have been protective right. um, and you allowed yourself to open up and that's a uh, that's a beautiful thing sometimes it's kind of two-toned that we're we allow ourselves to feel something or we, we we experience something really powerful and we feel happy that we did but we also mourn that it took us so long to get there right. uh, that we we didn't for so long whether it be that we were in a relationship we didn't feel we were allowed to that we've done some growth since then whatever it happens to be there's a sadness of the past mixed with the ecstatic feelings of the present right so it's almost like displaced emotion right mm-hmm. you're, you're not upset about what's happening in the moment right but maybe what happened ye- years weeks yeah. months ago whatever yeah. that is or what didn't right. happen and speaking of what may have happened previously some people are bringing pre-existing conditions into the relationships or sexual relationships. Maybe they've had a bad experience in yeah. the past and that yeah. they may be reliving it, right? Right. And it can be anything from a look or a word or a smell right. or an activity. Anything can bring up that um, visceral memory. Um, and, uh, and sometimes, even if we've processed it, even if we feel like I've dealt with that, I've put it to bed, I've you know worked through it, I'm good with it. Right. Sometimes it can still rear its head and like, and then it catches you by surprise. Like, where did that come from? I thought I'd put that away in a drawer and it was complete. Right. And that's that's really hard. Right. And, and and because it happens once, I presume it doesn't mean it's going to happen again. It, it could just be one of those situations where. 
you have an emotional outburst and, sure. and that and that's all it is, right? Yeah. You know, we don't necessarily need to look at it any more closely than it happened. Boy, that yeah. was that's weird. That's never happened before, right? Yeah, I, I often recommend not to overanalyze it, especially at first. Like just be with the emotion, let it come out of you. Because when you stop that flood of emotion, then you know, you're kind of stuck and then it, it's you have to work to get rid of it. Right. Um and then it comes up over and over again. And I do find that women who have challenges with orgasm, that's a really common experience. It's like orgasm is like a release and it and it's you don't know your body's trying to figure out how am I going to release this and sometimes it's through tears sometimes it's through sadness sometimes it's through laughter we just we don't know how to let go of all that pent-up energy and it comes out that way so um clearing that out rather than stopping it is really key Okay, so what should we do? What should we do if we find ourselves in a situation where we're crying after sex? Like, yeah. what do you do? So I would say, if you're on your own, um, keep it going. Like, don't stop the stimulation if, unless it feels uncomfortable to do so. Just keep it going and allow the emotions to flow. Um, don't stunt them. And if you're with a partner, tell them like, don't stop, keep going. Right. Um, and I'll give yourself some permission to feel held, to feel. Um, comforted afterwards and, um, you know, don't feel like you have to explain yourself and just say like, I don't know what it is. I just need you to hold me. You know, I just got to let this go. Right. And and hopefully you're, you're with somebody that, you know, you can have the that conversation yeah. with. You can be on, I yeah. mean, you know, they, yeah. they've witnessed you crying or you've witnessed them crying and right. you, you I guess the answer is you're already there for them. You have to continue to be there for them. Yeah, and hopefully you feel comfortable to be vulnerable because that's a very vulnerable place to be in um, and confusing. Right. Okay, so we have time for for one more area. And and in the article, you end off talking about orgasm as therapy. So so what do you mean by that? Well, uh, orgasm, as I said, is a release. And um, I find that it can be a great way to release emotions. And I sometimes if I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling frustrated or I'm angry and, you know, when you you can't get them out and you're like, oh, it's stuck there and I can't get it out and I just want to have a good cry to let it go, Um, that orgasm is a great way, um, and hopefully pleasurable too, to um, let that out. Two two birds, one stone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So allowing yourself to experience that and just push it through, it's very cathartic, um, and you feel that that just kind of release at the end, and whether you're solo or partnered, you may want to explain it to your partner ahead of time. Yeah, you might. (laughs) You you know that's what you're doing. what we're doing. This is a little exercise today. So don't freak out. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I say is to a partner, take it as a compliment. That means that your partner is trusting you, that they're allowing themselves to let go and cry in front of you. So see that as positive, ask them what they need um, and roll with the moment. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. So next month, I think we should talk about something that's preying on my mind. Yeah. And that is social media and the internet and how it's impacting our sex lives and, mm-hmm. the, and the connection or lack of connection right? yeah. that's there. You okay? okay? Are you cool with that? Yeah, that's great. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For notes on today's show or for links to our guests, visit thetonic.ca. For articles written by Joel Thuna and Carlisle Jansen, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. 
or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me directly at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we discuss stress and your heart health, mindful cooking, why you might need to set up a health entourage, and restaurant pet peeves. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.